Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. We're getting close to episode 500 here. It is Friday morning in California. Welcome, Mike Momola. Good morning. Enjoying our beautiful weather here. Yes, yes. After a month of rain. Welcome to Seattle. And Dave Marino, the amazing Dave Marino. You got the light shining on you. Uh, Where in the heavens are you? I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina right now. (laughs) I love North Carolina, but we're blessed to have Jennifer Campbell on today. She is the founder of High End Life Incorporated, something I'm super interested in, although she specifically focuses on women, soul alignment strategist. Uh, That seems like a very high purposeful uh, occupation and interest and purpose. Uh, Welcome to Office Hours, Jennifer. Thank you so much, David. Thank you so much for having me here. Looking forward to our conversation. Me too, because I'm on a mission to empower over a billion people to be happy. And uh, you are empowering women uh, with the soul alignment, which is a core of joy and happiness, I'm sure. Um, For me, people always ask, you know, how did you get on this mission? And I have the same question for you. Uh, with high-end life, understanding a higher self. It's an interesting mission to be on uh, to align the souls and find our higher selves. What what took you on this journey? Yeah, thank you so much for asking. Well, I've been in the change and transformation business my entire career almost. And working with leaders, especially women leaders, what I noticed is that especially this group of beautiful people don't really take good care of themselves and have lives that are so incredibly busy and full that they lose connection with themselves. And I thought, we have so much to offer to the world. Why not create a life that's in alignment with who we are? And that's when I went on a journey. And also because as a high profile person myself, if I may say so, um, I noticed that I burnt out a couple of times. And I thought, I want to have a beautiful life. Why not create that? So that's when I went on that path. That's excellent, Jennifer. Thank you for what you're doing. I mean, it's, it's something, I know you're over in the Netherlands, uh, and it's an issue that we see across the world where yeah. there's a, a unfair pressure put on women, um, especially those that are career-driven, uh, that they can't have everything, right? It's either a choice between family or success, and oftentimes we find that many of our most successful women don't have the personal success that they would have liked to have um, because of the yeah. sacrifice. What advice do you have for those that are especially career driven on trying to find that balance? And, you know, what what can they do to, to navigate that that space now? Because um, times are changing a bit, but there's still an unfair pressure. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's times are changing slow indeed. And so why wait for all the changes to happen in the outside world when you can start close to home in the inside world? And first of all, I my experience is that for high profile women, it's very difficult to acknowledge, wait a minute, it's important to start caring of myself first, to do self-care and to really charge myself, fill my own cup first before I go into the outside world and change it and be there for everyone else. So the first step is actually to align with yourself again 
And that is maybe to just sit with yourself for five minutes a day and really feel where you're at and start with that and build from that so that you get more in touch with what do I actually want? What fulfills me? What fills my cup first? Mm, so powerful. Jennifer, um, what you're saying resonates so deeply. I, I'm here in the in the California mm. mountains with, with a shaman, literally, uh, oh. who I've been studying and oh. training with for, for a month or so now. And, and yeah. it's exactly that, right? Understanding the energies of ourselves, understanding mm. the energies of those around us, understanding the energies of the universe and how all of that yeah. Inter, is intertwined. Yeah. And so what you say is so true. You know, after I turn off uh, office hours today and say goodbye to my two fantastic friends and partners and you and the other guests, mm -hmm. this will be the last contact I have with anybody until Monday. And yeah. that's really, really hard to do, right? Um, especially mm -hmm. in today's society, we have responsibilities, you know, professional, personal, familial. How do we find the time to do that? Because that is so critical what you say to be able to tap into ourselves, to be able to get that soul alignment. But then more importantly, once we, we're able to find the time to do that, to effectuate the changes that we find within ourselves, to, to have that soul alignment, to be what we want to be rather than what everyone else wants us to be. Yeah, yeah. And so finding the time is also starts with your awareness of what am I spending my time on? And so... In those five minutes that you sit with yourself, what you can also do is have a look at your average life and say, what am I doing from a day-to-day -day basis? And am I spending my time on the things that I actually want to spend my time on? Um, for example, I worked with one businesswoman and she said, my kids are my everything. I do everything for them. They're my top priority. But when we looked at her day, she spent not even 15 minutes and sat down with her kids on an average day. And that realization was like, oh, wait a minute. If my kids are top priority, I need to work around my business around the time that I spend with my kids, not work really hard and tell myself I'm there for my kids when I'm actually not. So I hope that example sort of gives an idea of be aware of how you spend your time and set your priorities and then watch it like a hawk. Yeah, prioritization is absolutely key, but so is systems. And you are a, system, a systemic uh, change leader yourself and yeah. expert. And I'm a big fan. You know, I thought it was only because I was OCD of, you know, creating <laughs> systems for everything. And it still could be, but it works for me. Um, as a top system, systemic change leader expert yourself, what mm. are, uh, what is, I should say, one of the simple systems uh, mm. that we can create in our lives in order to effectuate uh, a trajectory, at least, of this alignment or strategic soul uh, alignment that is uh, very beneficial in our lives? Yeah. So in addition to the two that I mentioned before, which is to to align with yourself for a couple of minutes a day and really feel where you're at. Second, to the time allocation and to set priority. But it's also really crucial to take good care of yourself and incorporate radical self-care into your life. And you can go to the spa and that is a fine thing to do. But 
that's not what you always need. It's always also important to look at what is going to make me feel like my energy is up right now. What is a small thing that I can do? And so by allocating time and taking yourself seriously in the self-care, you'll be able to create gradually a life that's more in harmony with yourself. So that's one thing you can do. Another thing you can do is to really spend time with your loved ones in a structural way. Really spend your time with the people that give you energy, that light you up, and so that you can be more in connection with yourself and others and be energized. So those are two things I would like to add. I love those. I love that too, Jennifer. As the, the resident non-super elevated being on this call, I'm going to ask. <laughs> I'm Wait, ask I, I thought you, you're the only, you're the one, you're the only one here over six feet. I, I thought you were the only elevated one on this call. You yeah. guys make up for the lack of inches. I'm trying with, uh, to get to where he is. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, I feel I feel a responsibility to ask this question for those that are watching that that really want to know yeah. more. And I know Jennifer, one of your titles is Soul Alignment Strategist. Yeah. Um, what does that mean? Um, yeah. And how can folks that maybe don't have a practice of, of being aligned, where can they start? Yeah. So a soul alignment strategist means that in my case, I help um, other people to really reconnect with who they truly are. That's what I do. And there's so many different techniques uh, in order to do that. But um if you want to start on your own and really feel who am I at my core and am I living who I am? Because that's what soul alignment actually means. Are you in alignment with who you truly are and what you are truly here to do on earth? It's just to get back to tuning into yourself every day. So it's the one that I actually started off with today in our conversation. It's really simple and low threshold. Am I really genuinely being and doing what I want to do in life? Is this really me? And you could do that by going for a walk with a dog for five minutes and contemplate about it. You can sit in behind your desk and switch off your phone and your computer and just contemplate on it for a while. Um, what you can also do is take a little more time and look back on your life and see when the moments were when you were truly in flow and see what that is and then do more of that. So those are a couple of tips of what you can do at home when you have a little time or a little more time to align more with yourself. If you want to find your higher self. Sorry, Mikey, we got David die waiting. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, no <laughs> uh, worries. Right on. I was going to say, if you want to find your higher self, if you want to align your soul with happiness, joy, passion, purpose, and profitability, Jennifer Campbell has been doing it for over 25 years. Check out highendlifeincorporated.com. Jennifer, please come and join us again. You're full of great wisdom and a higher self that... Uh, all of us hopefully will reach one day to be as high as David Marino. Uh, I'm five, seven looking to be six, seven someday. So thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Looking forward to next time.
<laughs> we look forward to it as well. Hey, don't worry. I've, I've got you on the roster as 510. You know how we, we can just. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, found, I found my college football uh, program. They listed me at 5'9". Uh, that was so that the other coaches didn't just pick on me, uh, you know, every single game when they realized I was five, two, uh, anyway, uh, but I'm still a quarter of an inch taller than Mike Mamola. All right. <laughs> Even with that hair, he's, he's trying to comb it up a half an inch. So he's looking good. All right. We got another David in the house. So don't get jealous, Mike. You got a D, double D a double M three Davids. You're not, you know, 50 years from now, you're not going to get three Davids, uh, just so you know that the name game has changed dramatically uh, since mm-hmm. we were born. I've just uh, looked at the, the newest names and David was not on the, the top three list as it was for the, the last 300 years. Anyway, <laughs> you're a dying breed, Davids, dying breed here. This exactly. is only the second time in my life I've been in a group with three Davids. There we go. I'm always with one. Uh, thank goodness. Uh, anyway, DM especially. Uh, founder of Let's Grow Leaders. Perfectly aligned with our last leader as well. Let's Grow Leaders.com. David Dye, welcome to Office Hours. Hey, pleasure to be with you uh, again, David. And if anybody uh, punches a, above their height, it's you. Ah, thank you so much. I appreciate that. I've been trying for 55 years, so that's a huge compliment. But the other thing I've been trying to do for the last at least 17 years is, you know, help people understand a unified, infinite, abundant system of thought. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I love your book tomorrow together because I think it really reinforces the idea of how we are all part and parcel of this abundant system of thought, this unified system of thought. And we need more people to utilize that trajectory in their lives that, actions, words, thoughts, beliefs, and feelings aligned with understanding that. And uh, you've been a leader uh, for so long trying to unite us where, unfortunately, as we saw yesterday even, we get more and more people trying to separate us. um, And, you know, our leadership seems to be one of uh, silos instead of togetherness. And so, Uh, I would love to start there because, you know, you have these great essays and great insight on what it is that deters us uh, from something that seems so natural of being together. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. Like this human tendency we have to be able to come together to collaborate and do amazing things together. And then also the same flip side of that human tendency we have to be really cruel and awful to one another. And, you know, so often that separation comes from fear. Uh, you know, and we could see plenty of that in the pandemic. It didn't matter what side of which argument you were on. At the under, you know, the core of all of it, separate fear. And, you know, so how do we counter that? Start with understanding. Get, truly understand and leave room for the edit, our own perspective about what's going on. David, yeah. uh, yeah, I don't know if you guys can hear me. There you go. You know, having been an executive and and being in politics, um, I'm sure you've seen a lot of uh, lost humanity over the years. Um, You know, I find in my field as a lawyer, sometimes I see myself kind of going to the deep end a little bit out of competition, right? Like there's a need to be right. And you you forget that the person on the other side is a human and you want to just make your point. Um, What are some examples, particularly in politics, that you've seen of people losing their humanity and what have been the aha moments that you've seen where people realize like, man, I shouldn't have done that. Or, you know, how do you see people get away from that? Mm. 
David, that is such a good, vital, and important question. And uh, the uh, we keep score. Oh, you keep score. <laughs> uh, who gets the, the good, vital, best, vital, good question? All right. Well, now I feel like I got to even it out. You know, now yeah. the score. We, we don't give it up early. <laughs> so. Uh, as I'm thinking about that question, I go back to a time was I was on the city council and there was a uh, the mayor at the name his name at the time his name was Joe Rice. I uh, went on to serve in the guard and help build uh, democracy in Iraq after the war and all that sort of thing. But there was a moment where we were trying to build a, a school for our youngest kids. The kids in that city ended up having to be bused far far away to to get to school. So we're trying to build a school. Everybody in the city thinks it's a good idea. But as happens, you get to a, a meeting and you're getting public comment and it is us against them, against them. And it's it's quickly separates into three or four different camps who are. And I will never forget. And everybody's right. You know, David, as you said, like we focus on being right in that competition and I want to win. That. And some of this is reframing what is the actual win. And so a great moment of leadership. Mayor Rice, he does a he calls a time i mean he stands up and physically goes like this like okay time out everybody we can come up with a thousand reasons why this can't work that's not the question the question is how can we how can we get this done we all think it's a good idea how can we get this done for the next 10 minutes i want to ask anybody who speaks for 10 minutes only to share how can we and it was amazing. In, a, in an instant, the, the atmosphere in the room changed and people started coming with solutions as opposed to all the reasons it won't. And, you know, it's one of those those quirks of the human mind. We find what we're looking for. And so if we can guide one another as leaders and self-leadership, guiding ourselves to find the how can we and to look for it with the awareness. Listen, we're all human beings. And so, David, I appreciate the, the self-awareness that you're coming with saying, hey, listen, I do this. And guess what? I do, too. I mean, with my own business partner, who's my wife and the CEO of our business, I want to be right too, but that's not the win. That's not the win. <clears throat> Great answer, by the David, way. David. And uh, I'm keeping score yeah. too. That's one for me. Yeah. <laughs> you beat him, Mike. I guarantee you one thing: <laughs> the David, the Davids will win this game. <laughs> All right, Mike, come from behind, victory. Here we go. <laughs> uh, hello and good morning. You know, with with what you're doing with the book, and I look forward to reading it. You know, reconnecting people with the sh the, the beauty and pain it says of shared humanity and the wisdom of the natural world. Um, not sure if you heard what I said to our, our previous guest and where I'm at and what I'm doing, studying with a shaman right now. And she talked about tapping into our natural selves. And so much of what I'm learning and why I'm learning it is because I think that we're what so much of what we think we know is ingrained in us just from our society, where we are geographically on this planet. But there are other ways that people from around the world do things, and they've been doing it for thousands of years that apparently works in many ways better at times. How important is it for us to recognize that we are a part of that circle of life, that to tap into that natural world in order to help each other heal, in order to help the planet heal and do the things that we want to do, not only individually, but collectively, which is what I think you're working on. Yeah. So, Mike, I'm going to give that two points just to, to even it up here. Uh, All right. Thank you. And two points, one for the question, but one for, yes, that connection to the natural world and to our place in it, I just think is critical. Yeah. It's it's there are so many different layers to that. So within that is the recognition of, you know, I just say flat out humility. 
you know, look at an ocean, look at the mountain, look at, you know, a, a tree that grows for 400 years. Like if we can't be humble in front of that and go, well, wait a minute, what am I doing here? Where is my part in this? So that's one. And the second, there's a, a essay in the book called The Mountain Always Wins. And it's that notion of really experiencing true awe, wonder, and humility, which is still available to us as human beings, even in a, a cynical, skeptical age, right? And the other part of that is our connection to one another. So yes, we're connected to the natural world, but that is also part of the web that includes us and recognizing that all of us share this one rock. This is all we got. It's earth. And, you know, maybe we're going to get a second rock here. You know, if somebody gets us to the moon or something, that's going to be like 50 people, 150 people. Like we got one place to be and how we get to share it together is to me the critical question of our age. And within the context of that question, David, uh, is hope. And I think you danced around it with the city council and, you know, basically shifting perspective to, you know, one of discouragement to one of hope by saying, hey, how can this work? And when we start thinking of what I get to do, not what I got to do, or how can this work, not how can this not work? It's really an aspect of hope that is the driving force behind that type of perspective. Um, I believe within the context of humanity and this infinite, you know, system, unified system of thought, there has to be a construct of perspective construct of something bigger than you. Um, now I add on to that a hopeful uh, driver of something bigger than you that loves you more than your mom to hopefully articulate to people that if there is something bigger than you that's created this all, then the love protection and promotion of that, which is bigger than you would be inherent within the context of what has created or co-creates with us. So uh, how important is hope uh, when we talk about this idea of a tomorrow together. It's interesting, David. If I were to write another book like this one, I think the title would be Hope Isn't a Strategy. It's the strategy. I think hope is that important. Uh, it is, to me, it is the fundamental act of leadership. So anybody, if you're in a leadership role, I don't care if it's politics, if it's business, if it's you know your church, nonprofit, synagogue, whatever it might be, you're in the hope business is what is leadership other than the belief that tomorrow can be better if we work together. And so for me, hope is vital. And But hope is one of those uh, things. I was, I was uh, reading somebody, uh, and I'm sorry, I forget the name, who's in the um, uh, social justice world and, and really working on some really, really tough situations with some different people around the world. And they were saying, listen, when I say hope, hope isn't an easy fantasy flighty, like, oh, I hope things will be, hope is gritty and it's scraped hands and bruised knuckles and it's, it's work, it's sore muscles and, you know, hope is work. So it's not just like, oh, I hope things will be, when I'm talking about hope, it's like with a capital H and there's a gravity to it that it's everything. I love that, David. Uh, I, I want to shift the attention back to the book for a second. Um, you know, you, you made a decision to go with, with short essays uh, instead of just a one continuous book. Tell us a little bit about that decision and, and why do you think the short essays are, are, are more impactful to, to get your message across? Oh, gosh, uh, no one's asked me that before, David. So point. I, I do a point <laughs> there. All right. Um, why short essays? Well, one, you can cover a multitude of different things. So I look at this as if the, the core of this book, Tomorrow Together, is about hope, healing and humanity. 
there are so many different facets to look at that and so many different experiences that I wanted to communicate, convey. Some of them are stories. Some of them are things that happened in history that have meaning for us today. Some of them are questions that I don't have an answer for, but I think if we're all asking and reflecting on these questions together, they point us again, we find what we're looking for. They point us in the direction of finding some good answers. Uh, and so I, that's one reason is it's a good way to look at a number of different uh, facets of the topic. The second reason is I love reading books like this. So quite frankly, it is in a genre. Uh, Jonathan Green, um, Catherine May, um, The Book of Delights. There are two of them. There's one in the 18th or early 19th century. And then um, uh, uh, our friend that does that today. Like, so you, it's, a, it's a genre that I very much enjoy um, being able to read one in the morning, perhaps reflect on it, think about it, talk about it with somebody else, then go back the next day. David, with regard to, you know, let's grow leaders and creating leaders, what is, you know, I've always subscribed to the belief that whoever knows what to do next is a leader. And I think a lot of people kind of recognize that. What is the, the interplay between like a natural leader and people who are able to learn how to be leaders? Because you walk into some organizations or some teams or whatever it might be, and it's like that guy or that gal, they're the leader. They, they just have that aura about them. They're, they're commanding the situation. Other people have to learn that skill. What is, is there a certain series of traits or, or something that, that somebody has to have in order to be a great leader? Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, I would say some people are born with certain elements of those that we visibly naturally attach to, but that's only one flavor of leadership. And so uh, as, as leaders or as people who are identifying leaders, we want to make sure that we're not just looking at that as the only styles of leadership, because there are so many different ways to take that kernel of hope, bring people together and achieve a better tomorrow, because that's what it's ultimately all about. So uh, do we all have some of those skills naturally? in varying quantities sure and are there skills we can learn absolutely and it's one of the i was just talking with uh an elder in the leadership employee engagement space uh somebody who's been doing this work for 40 years and uh it, millions of copies of books sold and she had a pain in her question she said it, it pains me sometimes to wonder why are we still having to write these books have these conversations why is the data still telling us that these things are needed in the workplace and so on and i think part of the answer to that might get to the point that leadership is learned behavior. Our natural instincts, some of those natural under stress instincts we have to fight, fight, freeze, flee, those, those behaviors don't serve us in those moments. And to learn how to be a good leader takes practice, it takes work, it takes learning. And so it's a learned behavior and we need to constantly be freshing that pool of skills and leadership and ability in order to build the cultures we're after. It's, <clears throat> yeah, it's amazing. Well, um, David, I know it's been a couple of years, I think, since I was on your podcast as well. And the podcast is a great way uh, to understand how soul and uh, the leadership position as a characteristic, uh, that alignment of the soul <laughs> that Jennifer was talking about earlier. And uh, would love to have you back as well and, and continue the conversations for all the good that you and Karen are doing. We certainly appreciate it. We need more leaders of togetherness than leaders of separateness uh, in the world with hope, healing, and humanity. If you believe, like the three Davids and the one Eminem in the corner there, uh, believe, let's all grow together. Let's grow leaders together. Look, 
That's growleaders.com. Tomorrow together, Essays of Hope, Healing, and Humanity. Check it out. It will help heal all of us into this pursuit of humanity. Thank you so much, David. I look forward to doing more with you. Absolute pleasure. Take care, all. <laughs> you got it. Take care. All right. We have a couple minutes here. I know David has uh, uh, some legal uh, ex, ex, expertness to deal with. Anyway, my brother, I wanted to get your takeaway of the day before uh, we, know, we uh, bring in our last guest. My takeaway is completely on point uh, with what I've been dealing with lately, especially with our first conversation. Um, can't lose ourselves in our work. Right. And, and, and this is something that we've been doing a long time. And I regret that I've got to jump off uh, for work. And I feel like finding that balance, that sweet spot between, you know, all that you want to grab in front of you uh, work wise and then maintaining and emphasizing your your relationships, uh, both personal and within your family is really difficult. And, you know, I'm going to be candid to everybody out here. I'm trying to find the balance myself. Um and as I find ways to improve that, I'm going to be sharing them. But that's that's my takeaway today is just, you know, being aware of it real time and then figuring out how to deal with it. Yeah, I will tell you one thing I've learned, <clears throat> three powerful word, words, which is always the answer in the interviews to what would you tell your 18-year-old self? <clears throat> Ask for help. Yeah. Stop misusing time, everyone. I think uh, it's a great lesson of the problem and the solution are all within one another and uh, we can reveal the miracle through forgiveness of the misuse of time and uh, ask for help David we're all here for you thank you for joining us go enjoy yourself it'll be a great weekend we'll see you thank soon you guys see love you, soon. you too see you Dave. take care all right we will trade one Dave for a near there we go <laughs> near and far near y'all <laughs> He is the author, How's consulting investor, a speaker at Near and Far. Thank you for joining us and replacing uh, our big brother there, David Marino. Uh, thank, welcome to Office Hours. Sure. Yeah. I don't know if it was a good trade, but uh, yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> uh, on Office Hours, it was a good trade. I'm not sure on the basketball court if we would have been equally as satisfied. <laughs> but uh, for sure, on uh, Office Hours, uh, Dave, Dave can ball. He was a college basketball yeah. player. Well, it's no uh, competition. I'm, I'm the least coordinated person in the world. So uh, that, that's uh, <laughs> no well, big we all don't need, We all have superpowers, and yours are <laughs> ones that so many people can be blessed with. Uh, you know, I talk about habits all the time, Nir, and uh, behavior uh, is so powerful because it's an energy, and energy aggregates, compounds, and accelerates. But we don't have... Uh, humans don't have a capability of recognizing the outcome of good behavior uh, in instantly unless we tie a quantitative measurement to it. So, for example, if we were going to time ourselves in a 100-meter run, we could see progress through our behaviors in a very short amount of time. We could run 200-meter uh, races and we could see progress between the two within a very short amount of time. But most habits, uh, we don't see the progress. And that's why most people quit good habits and keep bad habits uh, because they mm -hmm. don't see the results. So might as well do the, the, the bad thing if I'm not going to if I'm not going to get a result, a bad result from it. But eventually it aggregates, compounds and accelerates. You wrote a best selling book called Hooked, how to build habit forming products. Uh, 
and utilizing uh, that human nature to effectuate, you know, these choices that we make. What are some of the key aspects of habits um, that allow us to utilize the habits for good behavior uh, in business or in our personal life? Yeah, so about 50% of your day-to-day behaviors are purely driven out of habit. And what's a habit? A habit is a behavior done with little or no conscious thought. Uh, and so the, the the idea behind habits, the reason we evolutionarily have habits is that we can offload a lot of the cognitive processing that it, it took us the first time we learned a behavior to kind of put it on autopilot. So when you think about the first time you learned to drive, right? When you were a teenager and you first learned to drive, you were white knuckling it, right? Because it was the first time you were learning. It took a lot of cognitive effort to learn how to drive. But now when you're driving, you can have one hand on the wheel and you can have a conversation with the person next to you. You can listen to a podcast. You can uh, have a phone call. You can do all kinds of things because you've habituated certain series of complex behaviors into habits. Now, I do want to do something a little bit controversial here and, and say that I think we have reached kind of peak habits uh, in that I think habits are kind of prescribed as the solution for everything, right? People say, oh, I want to get into an exercise habit. I want to have a meditation habit. I want to get into a writing habit. I'm here to tell you folks that none of those things can be habits. None of them. Because what is the definition of a habit? The definition of a habit is a behavior done with little or no conscious thought. So when people say things like, oh, I wish I could turn this, that, or the other into a habit, what they're really saying is, I wish I could have done that behavior, right? I don't like to exercise. I wish I would have exercised. I don't like to write. I wish I would have already written. I don't like to meditate. I wish I would have already meditated. So they think somehow if they make it into a habit, it becomes autopilot, it becomes easy because they read some book or some guru told them that you can turn anything into a habit. And I'm here to tell you that is not true. And you say, well, what's the big deal? So it's not a habit. Okay, what's the big deal? It doesn't meet the scientific definition. It is a big deal. And I'll tell you why. Because what tends to happen is when people start thinking, oh, I can turn anything into a habit. And then 30 days, 60 days, 90 days into trying to do this behavior, what they find is that they're not successful at making it easy. It's not on autopilot. What happened? So instead of blaming the stupid technique, they blame themselves. And they say, I must be broken. I must be deficient somehow. There's something wrong with you. Me, there's nothing wrong with you. What's wrong is this technique. And so what we have to do is to be very careful between separating habits and routines. Habits are behaviors done with little or no conscious thought, which is why you can't make, you know, if you meditate with little or no conscious thought, you're sleeping. You're not doing it right. Meditation requires conscious thought. That is the point. If you're writing with little or no conscious thought, what are you doing? Like, I don't know how to write with little, what is that stream of consciousness? It makes no sense, right? If you're exercising with little, no conscious thought, what are you doing? How do you get stronger if you're not actively putting in the effort? So those behaviors aren't habits, they're routines. And so it's very important. Why, why do I use those terms differently? Because only some routines can become habits, but many routines will never become habits. So what we should do instead, some behaviors can become habits, but what we should do instead of expecting everything to become a habit is to realize that some behaviors will never be easy. They will always be effortful. They will always be difficult. And the difficulty is the point because things that are valued require effort, right? You want to write something that other people want to read. You want to build a business that other people want to patronize. You want to have good health that other people aren't willing to, to have be in the kind of shape that you are. Guess what? You're going to have to do stuff that other people don't want to do because it's hard work. And so I think we need to get off of this, uh, th 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 this mindset that habits can somehow magically turn things into effortless behaviors. No, a lot of behaviors will be difficult. And so it's up to us to prepare ourselves for that difficulty so we can 
uh, ra rise to the, the, the challenge that we're facing. Yeah, that's such a great distinction between habits and routines. I never heard it put that way, but I'll never forget it. So thank you for that. Um, sure. wh what is it when we're talking about these habits? It's like <clears throat> the Wizard of Oz. Is she a good witch or a bad witch? Between good habits and bad habits, what's the interplay between how we can develop those habits, which hopefully are, are good habits, um, but also if we get caught up, it almost seems like people that have bad habits, they, they don't intend to have bad habits. They're almost pulled into these bad habits versus the good habits, which they'd like to create in their lives. What's the interplay between yeah. those and how do we work on that? That's a really good question. So the commonality behind good habits and bad habits is that both of them have a common source, right? And so this is what I talk about in both my books. In Hooked, Hooked is about how do we build good habits in people's lives through the technologies they use, right? How do we build healthy habits? Indistractable, my second book, is about how do we break bad habits? It's, so it's two sides of the same coin. Mm. The commonality between both is what's called an internal trigger, an internal trigger. An internal trigger is an uncomfortable emotional state. And it is the spark for all of our behaviors. You know, many of us carry around a very antiquated notion of motivation, why we do what we do. What's, what's the seat of human motivation? Most people will tell you that motivation is all about the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain, right? Sigmund Freud said this. He called it the pleasure principle. Uh, Jeremy Bentham said something similar. We've all heard about carrots and sticks, right? Turns out neurologically, it's not true. It's not true. The brain does not pursue pleasure and avoid pain. Everything is done for one reason and one reason only. And that one reason is the desire to escape discomfort. From a neurological basis, everything you do, you do for that one reason, to get out of any kind of discomfort. So the brain looks at the easiest way to get back into homeostasis, to get out of that discomfort. Even you say, well, but aren't I driven by pleasure? Don't I want good things to happen? Of course you do. But that very desire, wanting, craving, lusting for something is itself psychologically painful. So the way the brain gets us to act is by creating this, this discomfort that we seek to alleviate in the easiest way possible. So what that means, therefore, if all behavior is spurred by a desire to escape discomfort, what that means, therefore, is that time management is pain management. Money management is pain management. Weight management is pain management. All human behavior is pain management. So what we see is the common ca cause of all human behavior, including your question around good habits and bad habits, it's always a feeling. That's all mm. it is. It's always a feeling. And that feeling, boredom, loneliness, fatigue, uncertainty, doubt, stress, anxiety, that is always the spark that we seek to escape, that itch that we seek to escape. Now, high performers, what I found in my five years of research writing Indistractable, was that high performers will use that discomfort. They'll use that itch, right? And they'll leverage it. And I've talked to professional athletes and, and people who are top of their game in the arts or writers or business people. It's always the same story. They have the same exact internal triggers that the rest of us do. But instead of trying to escape that discomfort with some kind of bad habit, right? Uh, I'm feeling bored. Let me turn on the news. I'm feeling uncertain. Let me uh, check social media. I'm I, Whatever I'm, I'm feeling, I can't deal with it. Let me instantly try and escape that discomfort with a drink, with a smoke, with a television scroll, whatever it is. What high performers do is they feel the same way everyone else does, but they leverage that discomfort to lead them towards traction rather than distraction. That's the secret. I love that mm. distinction. And you talk about utilizing technology in order to 
uh, get the best out of traction or to facilitate being in traction, not in distraction. Uh, what are, you know, you have four steps. Uh, what are the secrets to utilizing technology uh, to stay in line with a trajectory of where you want to be? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I like how you're, you're framing it as technology is not the problem. <laughs> and I, oh, yeah. I hate to tell you, that was my, that was my knee jerk reaction, right? I wrote hooked. And then I found that a few years later, I was getting very distracted. You know, I, I wasn't, I, it took me five years to write indistractable because I was always distracted. <laughs> right? I, I wrote the book for me. It's a proof in point. <laughs> I needed the book. And my knee-jerk yeah. reaction was to blame the technology. And we see this is very much in vogue today. You, you, when you turn on legacy media, it's amazing, right? The competition of social media is old media, right? It's television. It's the newspaper. It's, you know, the New York Times, CNN, Fox News. They're in direct competition with social media. And so they'll tell you all day long how social media is awful. And it's hijacking your brain. And it's the worst thing ever because it's their competition, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so you hear this narrative again and again and again. And I'm here to tell you, it ain't the tech, folks, because people have been getting distracted for at least the past 2,500 years. How do we know 2,500 years? Because that's when Plato, the Greek philosopher, talked about how distracting the world was 2,500 years ago before the internet. It can't be that these tools cause distraction. We've always been distracted from one thing or another. So the secret here is to define what is traction for you in your life and what is distraction. That's the most important thing. Traction versus distraction. What's the difference? One, one word. That one word is intent, okay? As Dorothy Parker said, the time you plan to waste is not wasted time. So if you want to go on social media, if you want to watch something on Netflix, if you want to do whatever you want to do, I don't care, do it, but do it with intent. Do it according to your schedule and your values, not someone else's, okay? So that's traction. So we need to stop moralizing and medicalizing these behaviors and say it's fine as long as you do it on your schedule. So that's one of the most important lessons. The, the first and foremost lesson is what we talked about a little bit earlier around mastering these internal triggers. That's the most important first step because I'll tell you, whether it's too much news, too much booze, too much Facebook, too much football, you're always going to get distracted by something unless you learn how to master those internal triggers or they will become your master. That's step number one. Step number two, make time for traction. Step number three, hack back the external triggers. And step number four, prevent distraction with packs. So that's the four basic strategies that anyone can use to become indistractable. Yeah, it's so important to see things as activities. And I think that is a line I try my best to tell people when they talk about work compared to being distracted from work, right? It's just activities you get paid for, activities you don't get paid for. And, you know, it, it, it's like the idea of vacationing every day. You know, when you're very active, people are like, oh, you know, aren't you going to burn out? Aren't, you know, you, 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 every, everything. No, it's a matter of understanding. There's only activity. And I'm just very intentional with in uh, utilizing time as well as a dependent variable of all that matter, subjective and objective. Go ahead, Mike. We got time for the last question. Yeah, Nir, I just uh, I'm such a fan of everything that you're saying. I really am, and I, I you know I want to read hooked absolutely, and want to speak to you more about this. And, and is it you know a lot of what what I'm working on now and, and very interested in are you know probably ancient forms of technology in natural health and being a lot of plant medicines and psychedelics with regard to human technology. Uh, that's been used by indigenous populations from around the world. And so much of it aligns with what you're saying rather than trying to avoid the, the pain or avoid the pain and seek the pleasure uh, with regard to triggers and distractions. It's that 
you know, rather than going around the mountain, perhaps leaning into it, going right through it. How do we get to that point? Because that is, you know, what people fear. That's what people are afraid of based on the way that perhaps they've been programmed over the last 20 or 30 or 50 or 60 years, however long they've been in this society. How do we get people to recognize it? Whatever that trigger is, it's okay to see that it's happening, but then also to go in head first to get through it that way, rather than, like you said, distracting ourselves with other things. Yeah, I think it starts with some really basic things. I think, you know, in society, there's so many interests pushing, uh, fight, you know, things that you have to pay for to get relief, right? If, if, if we feel the slightest bit of pain or discomfort, we need a pill, we need a remedy, we need some kind of guru to tell us what to do. And a lot of this stuff is, is very basic. For example, dealing with your emotions, right? You don't need to take a pill. You don't need to 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 uh, go on any fancy retreats. You just need to be able to label what is the sensation that you're feeling right before you get distracted. Think about the task that you constantly go off track when you try and do, whether it's when you uh, try, you know, if you're working on making your sales calls or working on a big presentation or writing that blog post, that thing that you know you need to do to move your life and career forward. Maybe it's exercise. I don't know. Maybe it's quitting smoking, whatever it is. That thing that distracts you from living the life you deserve according to your values and ask yourself, what is that preceding emotion? And you, you know, most people have never asked them that question, but what, themselves this question. But when you realize that it's just a feeling, right? It's just a feeling. And I, to me, that gives me a lot of agency. And that's the thing that I think most people miss today. And I, to answer your question, what's, what's missing? What, what, how do you kind of unplug from the matrix and, and realize what's going on? We need to stop this philosophy that we're, we're, we're powerless. You know, a lot of people have a vested interest to tell you that you are powerless. That there's nothing you can do, right? That you're the victim. And that is cancer. That is so toxic because as Henry Ford said, whether you believe you can or you cannot, you're right. And what we've seen today is that most people, when it, when it comes to distraction, they just give up. Oh, technology, it's hijacking our brain. It's addicting us. Social media, look what it's doing to the kids. And they just give up and they don't even try. And I'm here to tell people it's not that hard, right? <laughs> like I've researched this for five years and these techniques, anyone can pick up. So I great. certainly agree. Uh, and everyone has a different way of saying that exact thing that understands the distractions uh, and identifying fear. Uh, in the ego-based consciousness that we support that fear with the need to be right, separate, inferior, superior, anxious, frustrated, angry, guilty, all distractions from the traction that we want, the trajectory we want to be on. Near a all, thank you so much for joining us. I am going to dive into both books, Hooked and yes. Indistractable, uh, and try not to get distracted by those books from the activities uh, that I prioritize during my day as well. But uh, understanding how to utilize my time with those activities will be quite important. Uh, I love the precept as well of technology and how it's utilized in order to help us uh, not hurt us. Uh, I think that's really important from someone who's been involved in technology since uh, 1992, uh, not to age myself. Please come back and join me. We have other shows. Uh, the world needs more of both your books and of you. Check out Near and Far. Uh, I think it's a great way to have the right perspective of how we can live a passionate, purposeful, and profitable uh, journey. Uh, really impressed. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, Thanks for having me. me. Great stuff, man. Thank you. Right on. Thank you. All right, Mikey. Yeah, man. Wow. These are three. You know, I want to thank Raluca again. The way she puts together a thematic show yeah. is not easy. 
so uh, you know, we, we're blessed to have a lot of people want to being on the show, but to be able to put them into a thematic uh, day is uh, very beneficial to everyone, which is why we end the shows with uh, the takeaways so we can see you know, what we're drawing from comparatively to what maybe the audience in the community is. So Mikey, what's your takeaway for the day? Mine is the reinforcement of the belief that uh, success is an inside job. You know, we talked about souls and soul journeys and tapping into your higher self with our first two guests and with near what he said about triggers and emotions and attraction versus distraction. It's and, and, you know, people that are out there, you know, motivating and inspiring others but in many ways you know it's trying to instill hope or being the you know the hopium dealers that we see all over and you and i have seen them everywhere but it's the old john lennon quote it's you know no no guru can see the world through your eyes so the more you can stop and slow down and start to recognize who you are and what you are uh and then like near just said you know start recognizing those things that are triggering you the more likely you are to have the type of outcome that you seek Absolutely. And I think it's interesting you say stop and slow down time uh, because that's my takeaway whenever I get into the situation of soul alignment that uh, in order to utilize the trajectory, we, we have to understand time and uh, helping people with their misuse of time uh, is you know such a huge thing. Time being, as I stated earlier, dependent variable of all matter, subjective and objective matter in the present because the only limitation of time is time itself in the present 24 hours a day of activities and uh, how you're utilizing those activities and a trajectory where you think you want to be, that's your journey. And the judgments and conditions and separations that other people put upon that journey is none of your business, uh, which is why a guru can't see, see through your eyes uh, as Jennifer, David, uh, and Nir uh, all stated, uh, we have to utilize time. Uh, in the trajectory where we think we want to be. Mike, go enjoy your journey, speaking of which, this weekend. I hope you find more inside of yourself so you can change what's outside of yourself. And uh, I'm very, very uh, inspired by that journey. So enjoy yourself, my friend. We'll talk Thank to you, you soon. Thank you. Got you. it. All right, everyone. What a great episode. Once again, I want to thank Raluca and Gigi. They're producing the highest office hours we've had. Uh, it's no doubt we're peaking here at uh, 500 episodes, not counting the TV episodes, which you can catch on Apple TV. Uh, but I'm just thoroughly amazed. It makes my mornings, especially or afternoons, uh, to sit here and get an MBA in a day, MBA of life it is. So uh, big, big shout out to both of them uh, for helping us. Um, today, in about 54 minutes, we'll have training. 7 a.m. Pacific time. It will be moving to 6 a.m. Uh, so I've been doing training for over 23 years. It'll be 24 years in October. Uh, and today's training is takeaways of the week. We're going to gather everyone's takeaway with commentary of all the different things that we've learned in order to facilitate the traction, uh, not the distraction of what you want in your life. And uh, if you haven't signed up there's over eighty thousand people registered david at dmelter.com that email has been up most of the day david at dmelter.com if you miss it the replays are always available for you and if you want one of my books guides or exercises i'll sign a book send it to you and pay for the book and shipping not a problem david at dmelter.com 
Thank you everyone so, so much. Uh, remember most importantly, be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you in 53 minutes. Thanks so much.